You're listening to Consolidate That. Ukraine is my motherland. It is now under a savage attack by Russia. Ukraine is shielding Europe and the rest of the civilized world from Putin's barbaric aggression. Ukrainians are brave and effectively fighting back. Let's help. Make a donation to Armed Forces of Ukraine. Link is in the show notes. Hashtag stand with Ukraine. Welcome back to Consolidate That. Ivan, good to see you again today. Um, I wish the viewers could see because I, I like your shirt today, but unfortunately, we don't do video. So you'll just have to see Ivan in person. But Ivan, I'll hand it to you to introduce our guest and we'll run from there. Well, thanks for that compliment, Ryan. <laughs> to you as well. And today we have Colin Carr. Colin is the founder and CEO of CAR, the national leading provider of commercial real estate service for healthcare tenants and buyers. Every year, thousands of healthcare practices trust CAR to help them achieve the most favorable terms on their lease and purchase negotiations. Colin has been involved in commercial real estate for over two decades and has personally completed over a thousand transactions. Holy cow, that's a lot. Colin, welcome to the show. Thank you for finding the time. Yeah, thanks for having me. I appreciate it. So the real estate is... I would say it's number two or number one concern when you're negotiating the purchase of practice. And um, if we don't negotiate it right, then you can be stuck with either a landlord that you don't want or not having the continuity of business for as long as you want or having bad conditions where you're operating. So it's a very important side of of the veterinary business in at least in consolidation so this is a really interesting topic but just can we start about you how did you end up in specifically healthcare real estate and what was your journey like yeah absolutely i, I will try my best to give the short version so i did not go to college um, i started working right away and one of the first jobs i had was uh, managing apartment complexes at the age of 19 and i got really fascinated with real estate so focused even more on real estate, moved to Colorado in my early 20s, kept managing complexes, and then I got into brokerage. And the guy that I started working for did uh, large national retailers. So Walmarts, Wendy's, Blockbuster, you know, big, big name brands. And so I did that for a number of years. I liked it, but I didn't enjoy like the, the human element. I was working with the real estate manager out of some random state and it was just a numbers game. So uh, I started doing more office and industrial work uh, work with individual business owners, enjoyed that significantly. And then uh, a landlord that I had worked for for years bought a medical building and asked me to list it. And I had previously that I had no experience in medical, but took on the listing. And I started working with a bunch of doctors and healthcare providers, and I really enjoyed that. So I decided to become a medical specialist and just start picking up a significant amount of uh, medical and healthcare properties. And a number of years into that, I just had this series of deals that I was involved with where for me, the light bulb went on. And essentially what it was, I was working for the largest uh, healthcare REIT in the country. And we had a couple of deals that we were working on. And in three different scenarios, the doctors were unrepresented and had essentially no idea what they're doing. It was two renewals and then one new transaction. It was an ENT, a plastic surgeon, and a dentist. And in all three scenarios where the doctors were unrepresented, they just got completely manhandled in these transactions. Like they had, they had no idea that they were leaving like $100,000 on the table for the tenant improvement allowance. They weren't getting any of the free rent packages they were supposed to get. You know, one of the renewals, the doctor was overpaying by, it was like seven or $8 per square foot compared to where he should have been. 
And so essentially I just, I had this epiphany that, you know, these are great people. They, they truly care about, you know, about the community. They care about, you know, their, their patients, their staff, their business, but they're just in a game that they don't understand the rules and they don't understand the dynamics. So essentially I just had a couple of transactions that, that went down where the landlords won significantly, the doctors lost significantly and the doctors didn't have a clue they lost. And so I just had this desire to start helping the doctors. So I started going after more tenant and buyer work. And within a really short period of time, I had a, a couple of dozen clients that I was working for and launched the launched our current company today, Car, in 2009. And we have been cranking for almost 15 years now, only on the tenant and buyer side, only in the healthcare space. And, you know, I think right now, I think we have over 40, 100 clients that we're doing work for coast to coast. And so anything with real estate for your practice, you want to renegotiate a lease, buy it, buy a building, buy land, add additional locations, expand anything that's real estate related for healthcare, we work on and we do quite a bit in the veterinary space. It's not only the real estate that uh, the medical professionals don't know about when they run a business. And uh, <clears throat> very often we, you know, it's, it, I'm, I'm a veterinarian by trade. So, so as a veterinarian, I had no idea how to run the business, how to do accounting, how the legal works and everything else. So taking advantage of the professionals that are trying to transition into business ownership is very easy. And I remember when, uh, before I burned out as a veterinarian, I remember every time someone would take an advantage of me, like car mechanic, I would always think your dog will get sick one day. <laughs> so I'll, I'll see you on the other side. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> but um, so that's very interesting. So where do you step into the relationship? So the way, again, I didn't know enough about it. So we at, at Galaxy as a strategy, we decided not to deal with real estate. So essentially we're partnering with someone who wants to buy it out. There's a couple of scenarios. I'm sure you're aware of them. So either the seller of the business has a lease, so we have to negotiate and take over the lease or the seller owns the building and then they want either to sell it or they want to become a landlord for us. So in my experience, we would have our lawyers advise on this. And where does someone with your qualification and, and what you do steps into this process and helps someone like myself or, or another veterinarian that is buying a hospital? Yeah, if it's an acquisition, we're going to step in as soon as the opportunity is identified. And I, I'm glad you brought up the attorney portion because a lot of times people will say, well, I'll have an attorney handle it or they'll take the other approach. I'll have my real estate broker handle it. And it's not an either or approach. It should be both. You should have an attorney who's handling all the legal aspects of it, the contracts, you know, protecting you from a legal perspective. But the attorneys typically are not market experts. They typically don't have, you know, they don't have their ear to the ground. They don't have a full understanding of all the options in the market. And during an acquisition, you're not looking at necessarily relocating the hospital, but what is available in the area? What other options would be available if you wanted to relocate in the future? If there's other options to lease, depending on the type of property, those considerations are important and they do help determine the market value. So when you've got a sale happening in a scenario where you have a seller that says, hey, I want to sell the real estate and here's my price, or they say, I want to lease it and here's my price. You do want to make sure that it's considered you know, a, a fair deal or a market deal. And the attorneys typically are not very good at that. Just like a real estate broker is probably not very good at you know drafting legal language, and they shouldn't be because that's practicing law. But you you want both aspects there. So in the situation of an acquisition, you're looking at buying a practice. 
you want to get a real estate agent involved right away. And then they can they can pull comps, they can pull information. And whether it's a sale or lease, they can give you, you know, market intelligence, market data to say, hey, this is this is a pretty fair price or this is way above market. And then they're not they're not determining anything for you. You might say, hey, I'm willing to pay above market because I want this, I want this business. Or it gives you leverage to say, listen, you know, we need to work on the real estate price if we're going to give you a premium or an extra, you know, an extra multiplier or two on the practice side. It's kind of like you're pulling levers a little bit. At the end of the day, the seller is not going to sell if they don't get the value they're looking for on both the business and the real estate. But it gives you the ability to, you know, adjust one of those a little further. So how do you find your place for groups that are doing more of a de novo strategy or, for example, someone like Galaxy Vets that if they are looking to relocate a practice even, um, how, how would you engage in that side of things? Yeah, that's honestly, that's probably the, the dominant type of transactions that we get involved with are helping people add additional locations or relocate. So in that scenario, you know, we're, we're engaged by a group or the, a group engages us and they say, listen, we want to add additional location in this area. We've got very significant due diligence software. So we can run competition studies, we can run heat maps, patient maps, on the healthcare medical side, we do insurance studies. So, I mean, we can get really detailed with the information that's pertinent to your business. We don't want to give you information and data just to give you data, but it's stuff that, that moves the needle for your business. And then what we do is we, we go to market, we find all the top options that fit your criteria. We perform the due diligence with these landlords and sellers to making sure that you know the zoning is proper, that the landlords are willing to contribute the right TI allowance or free rent package if it's going to be a lease situation. And so we basically try to whittle down the top options that are available to the most, you know, the most prominent or favorable properties. Then we present those to the client, to you. And then our game plan and our strategy is unique. We always negotiate with at least three or four landlords or sellers simultaneously. It's a very simple, but it's a huge leveraging tool because when you're only talking to one landlord, you don't know if what they're offering is market or not. Like if you're talking to one landlord and they're saying, well, we'll give you $30 a square foot for a tenant improvement allowance. What are you comparing that to? Like maybe a past transaction or what you think is market. But if we're talking to four different landlords and three of the four landlords are offering 50 or $60 a square foot in TI and one's offering $30 a square foot in TI, you leverage the other landlords against the landlord who's offering the lower concessions. You do the same thing with free rent. You do the same thing with designated parking or signage or whatever you're going for. And at the end of the day, the real estate professional, you know, our, our side of it, we're not making the decisions for you. We're just advising you. We're saying, hey, listen, this is a great property. Here's what we like about it. Here's what we don't like about it. We start trading paper, negotiating, getting proposals back and forth. Here's where this proposal is strong. Here's where it's weak. Here's where we should counter. And when, when you as a business owner, you go to market and look at maybe five, six, seven properties, we start negotiating with three or four landlords simultaneously. We go three or four rounds of negotiations, again, on a de novo or a relo. You're not going to wonder if you got the best terms possible. You're not going to wonder, hey, should we have pushed harder? Should we have looked at other properties? You've seen the full market. Like, There's always the, this, this question in the back of everyone's mind is, what else is out there? What else should we be looking at? The answer is nothing. Like when we're done touring, it's you've seen the top options. We could show you 10 more properties we disqualified. And then when you go three or four rounds of negotiations, you're not wondering, should we ask for more? Should we push further? You've got best and final terms. So it gives you that peace of mind to say, this is the right property. We achieved the best possible terms for, for, the, for the current market. And this is where we're going to plan our next flag. And it gives you the peace of mind to make that decision. 
So a lot of those situations that you just described, that's when you're choosing a new location from what I understand. Correct. Yeah, that would be a relocation or a de novo. Yeah. Are there any of those instruments available if I'm buying a clinic from, let's say, from existing owner? Because, you know, we're geared as a, as a show towards the consolidators. And for the most part, they're faced with a situation where, yes, there's de novo and they're looking for the best location, all of that stuff. But if you're buying from existing owner or if you're buying from existing owner with existing lease, what leverage points can you have to renegotiate the lease? Because we were... We were negotiating one deal in San Diego and their lease was draconial. And uh, like, is there a way to negotiate, you know, with the, with the existing owner compared to the market or what is the, what are the leverage point that you can have in those type of situations? Well, so the real estate is going to be tied to the practice, as we mentioned earlier. And, and so you want to be sensitive to that. You never want to walk into a real estate deal and, and blow up a deal just because they're above market or they're asking too much you can expect them to ask more than it's worth in most scenarios that there's a business that's attached to the property. And so the property by itself has a certain value. If you attach a business to it, it's going to hopefully be worth more. So you, you walk into those transactions and you can assume whether they're represented by a practice broker or an attorney or they're doing it themselves, you can assume they have an inflated value there. So we know we're going to have a, a number that's probably above market that's higher than we want to pay in an ideal scenario. But the question is, does it still make sense to buy the practice? A lot of times what you see is these landlords or the sellers will just assign like a ratio, like whatever the practice is doing in revenue, they'll say, well, the typical lease rate or rent is going to be, you know, six to 8% of that practice's revenue. And so the higher the revenue, that higher that number they try to push. Our job is to come in and say, here's what someone would pay for this building if it wasn't an animal hospital. If this thing went dark tomorrow and had no business here, here's what someone would pay. Let's say that somebody can walk in, plug and play, and, and all the build out was there, pull out the equipment and technology, but the build out's there, and you can walk in and start a new hospital there. Here's what someone would be willing to pay for that from a lease rate perspective. And that's based upon comps of other animal hospitals in the area, et cetera. And so our job is to give market intelligence and data to where you can say, you know, that's pretty close to what we'd pay if we moved across the street, if we bought our own property. If you wanted to build your own building from scratch, what's the total cost of, of acquiring the land and then and then full construction? And then you start looking at it. If, if you could build your own property for you know for five hundred dollars a square foot, you know acquire the land, build the building, fully finish it off, and they're asking eight hundred fifty dollars a square foot, you've got a price there where that's it's it's so significantly over market. You've got to have a extremely compelling reason why you would pay you know that type of a premium. And so we're giving you information. We're not telling you if you should or shouldn't buy it. We're just saying, listen, they're, they're asking $100,000 for this car. The same exact car is available for $75,000 at three other dealerships down the road. Do you really want this one over the other three? And again, you're not going to probably walk away from the business over that, but you are going to use that to say it's just not worth that. Like we want to do a deal. We want to transact. We're willing to give you X for the business, but the real estate is too inflated. The numbers don't make sense. And then we're using that information to hopefully bring the price down or to get it to where it's a fair deal. Or other times we're just confirming that, hey, this is a slight premium, but it's not egregious. And we think that this is a this is a solid deal for this business. So how often do you see the deals that are attached to the revenue? Because we've, we've walked into a couple where the seller said, well, it's just going to be a percentage of revenue. And then <clears throat> as, a, as a corporate or a consolidator, we're coming into bring the operational efficiencies, we're bringing our buying power, we're bringing all of these instruments that we have to run the business more efficiently as opposed to the owner that is departing right now. But somehow we are attaching ourselves to 
as a percentage to our productivity looking into the future. So how often do you see that and how difficult it is to get out of this sort of a percentage attachment agreement rather than the plain sort of cost? Yeah, I, I don't like the real estate being attached to a percentage of revenue for a number of reasons. You know, that landlord is not going to be participating in all the, the blood, sweat and tears that you put into that practice all of the efficiencies that you bring to the table to make it more profitable, to grow the revenues, like they're not part of that. So they, they have they have a very valuable product, but it's static. They, they offer you the real estate, they maintain it, but they're done. They're not involved in the business. And so they're not participating in the, the downside of the business because you guys are going to grow it, but you know, they're not personally guaranteeing loans and doing all the things that you guys have to do. So we try to avoid percentage rents uh, at all costs. And then we also try to avoid uh, CPI consumer price index increases on the annual increases. That's another big thing. People, landlords love to go after percentage rents. They love to go after CPI. We try to avoid both those significantly. And we want a set lease rate that's based upon the market, not how much revenue you do or don't, don't put up each year. And we want a set annual increase that's fixed that we know what it is, not based upon whether or not inflation hits a 40-year high and all of a sudden you get some insane inflationary index that, you know, bumps your operating costs or your rent by 10%. And that's what happens with the CPI in increases. So we, we push pretty hard for it. And I mean, at the end of the day, every negotiation has some area where you're just not willing to go there. And you just have to, in my opinion, come up with a statement internally, which is we don't do that. Like the landlords have no problem asking for for the moon. They'll ask for whatever they can. And you just have to be in a position where you just say, you know, just, we don't do that. that that's not, it's, that's not something that we're willing to do. Not something that we're, you know, open to doing, however you want to explain it, but we're going for set lease rates. I'll give you a premium lease rate. I'll give you an above market lease rate because it's tied to the business and I'm going to give you the benefit there, but that's the most I'm willing to do. And you know, if, if you're bidding or competing against another buyer who's willing to do that, then you might have to, accept that if that means you either win or lose the business. But assuming that you're the, you know, the, the sole person looking at buying it or you had the most favorable offer, I, I think you can move the needle significantly from a profitability standpoint if you cap that real estate at a set number. And, and most, of the large, you know, most of the large retailers out there, the, the, the biggest like Fortune 500 retailers that are doing deals, like Chipotle is trying everything they can not to have a percentage rent attached to their lease. Um, Starbucks will do it, like, but they're trying very hard to get away from that in most scenarios. And I know that because someone in our company has done 500 leases for Starbucks and used to work for them. And my one of my former attorneys was the attorney for uh, Chipotle. And you know, we're aware of what other companies do and don't do, but people are trying to avoid that at uh, at all costs if they can. So, what is your business model? Because essentially, like, I'm just trying to think for someone like like us, we're a consolidator. We have our attorneys that advise us on each particular deal. When do we think I need to bring Colin into the conversation here and uh, what it would cost us? So where does your business model come into and how does that work? Yeah. So if, if you're consolidating, anytime you find a practice that you want to uh, potentially purchase or that you're getting serious about looking at, you want to bring us in and then we'll perform due diligence on our side. If you're looking at doing a de novo or relocation, we want to start those processes usually 12 to 18 months in advance. So you've got two things. You're focusing on the consolidation, but you're, you're walking into leases typically, and those leases do come up for renewal every five, seven, 10 years, what have you. So we're involved in anything that has to do with real estate for you. 
we're, we're focused significantly on dates and deadlines. Like if you've got 20 leases and you've got an average of five year lease term, you might have like four or five leases ro- rolling over every year. Like we've got to be on top of that and make sure that we're in, in front of that and make sure that we're not missing renewal options, key dates and deadlines, trigger points in the lease. And then we're starting our due diligence and our negotiations 12 to 18 months in advance because we've got to have time to move that location if they're not competitive. You might say to me, I don't want to move that location. That's not really relevant. The question is, if we can't get terms that are fair in market, then we have to be willing to move. And so we have to have the right, you know, the right amount of runway in front of us to do that. Um, as far as how we're paid, we're paid as a percentage of the deal, just like in residential real estate. So if you're going to sell your house, you hire a listing agent, and then you would agree to pay that listing agent a commission. That commission's built for not only your agent, but also the buyer's agent. It's the same thing in commercial real estate. If it's a lease or purchase, it's a percentage of the total deal value. And 90 some percent of the time, there's a fee built for two people, not just one. So a lot of a lot of healthcare providers make this mistake. They think, well, if I don't use anyone or just have my attorney do it, I'm going to save money. The, the, the fault with that is that you're not the one determining the commissions, the landlord or the seller is determining those. So a lot of times people say, well, I'm not going to use anyone. I'm going to, you know, kind of like a for sale by owner. It works in a for sale by owner because you're determining not to pay commissions. If you're a tenant though, or a buyer, the landlord or the seller is the person who pays the commissions, not you. So we, we come into the deals, we get paid a percentage of the deal. We take half the commission from the listing agent or from the property manager, whoever is doing the deal and getting paid for it. And so we don't, we don't charge you, the actual client, a fee to do what we do. And one of the best ways I can explain it to you to use another parallel analogy, it's kind of like an insurance benefit. Like at the end of the year, if you have dental insurance, like your dentist calls you and says, hey, like you've got $800 left on your policy. If you don't use it, you lose it. The insurance company is not sending you back a check for the money that you didn't use. And they're not sending the dentist that check here. So the dentist is motivated saying, hey, get in here. Let me see you so I can build the insurance company, but you also get the benefit. It's similar with real estate. You go in by yourself solo. If it's a new lease or a relocation or de novo, that listing agent for the landlord gets a double commission. If we're there with you, we split it with them. And then if it's a scenario of an acquisition and it's a sale, that seller's paying a commission typically to a practice broker or to someone. And we just take a portion of that commission um, alongside that practice broker or whoever they're paying for that transaction. That's excellent. Well, thank you for that explanation. We blew through our time here. um, And I think there's tons of great stuff. I know you're on a lot of different podcasts, so the people should follow you on Instagram and follow you on LinkedIn to be able to stay up to date with what you guys have going on um, and tons of great resources. So again, thank you so much for joining us and uh, hope to have you back again soon. I appreciate it. Thanks, guys. Thanks, Colin. Thank you so much for listening to Consolidate That. If you want to hear our new episodes, please find us on any podcast platform. Also, you can learn more about us on our website at galaxyvets.com.